1: Archegos, the levels of leverage that they took on was multiples higher than even the most risky hedge fund that's out there.
0: Welcome to episode 32 of The Great Fail, a podcast that examines the greatest success stories and their spectacular fails. What led to the demise of the most prolific people, brands, and companies? I am your host, Deborah Chen, and this week we'll be looking at Archegos Capital. On March 26, 2021, the financial world awoke to the news. The first signs of trouble trickled into the different media outlets. And within hours, the buzz grew loud enough to rattle some of Wall Street's biggest players. To the outside world and at the center of it all was an unfamiliar and obscure name, Arcagos Capital. And then an even more unfamiliar name, Bill Huang the founder of the investment fund. The word on the street was that Archegos had defaulted on loans that were used to build a $100 billion portfolio. The default meant that now at stake was the fate of some of the largest investment banks in the world, along with some complex derivative trades, several large media stocks, Asian stocks, and billions upon billions of dollars in losses. Dramatic headlines rolled out. Bill Wang, the greatest trader you've never heard of. And Archegel's liquidation triggers record crash. Confirming the onset of a meltdown for the financial markets that Huang had desperately tried to contain days earlier. What would be uncovered would become one of the most astounding and outrageous financial failures in modern day history. Welcome to the story of Arcego's capital. Investing under the radar since 2013, leaving a trail of destruction in its wake by the end of March, 2021. Some of you may have been tracking the Arcego story as it's unfolded over the last several weeks. For others, this may be your first time even hearing about the company. Either way, I promise that this week's dose of the great fail will be worthwhile. Full disclosure first, I started my career working with derivatives. It was this highly complex trading instrument that was not the easiest thing to explain to friends and family back then. And now decades later, hearing about what brought down Arcego's capital and the man who ran it, Bill Hwang, I myself needed a refresher on derivatives and understand how one person could single-handedly take down his own personal wealth worth $20 billion and wipe out billions of dollars from lenders, major institutions that include international banks and giants like Credit Suisse, Nomura, and Morgan Stanley. On top of that, what's most fascinating to me is that here's a guy who's been under the radar for so long, who's one of the biggest whales that no one's ever heard of. And if losing money was a sport, Bill Huang would hold the title for losing the most amount in the shortest amount of time. Leslie Picker, CNBC correspondent who had been on the front lines breaking the story, now breaks down how it all unfolded that day, March 26, 2021.
1: So it was a pretty benign market day, one Friday in March. And all of a sudden, I started receiving tips from various sources in the hedge fund world that there was what's known as a margin call taking place with a big fund, A margin call basically means that someone had borrowed a tremendous amount of capital from a bank and that their collateral that they were putting up against that loan wasn't sufficient. And therefore, they had to sell down their entire portfolio to meet the requirements of the bank by which they took a loan out.
0: So imagine it like this. Trading on a margin is borrowing money to buy into a position. Now, when your position goes up, you make money. When your position goes down, you lose money. But one of the riskiest things that happen is the margin call. A margin call is like a warning signal that your account just dipped below its limit and you need to bring your account back up to good standing by either depositing more cash or liquidating a lot of securities quickly, oftentimes even at an enormous loss.
1: So margin calls don't happen every day and usually I don't get flags from hedge funds that there is a big one occurring unless it really matters. And so my colleague David Faber had received the same kind of tip around the same time So we worked to kind of unmask who exactly was facing this margin call, was it a large hedge fund that we had heard of, and tried to get to the bottom of what exactly was happening that had everybody up in arms about what was going on right now. Now, mind you, I'm looking at the broader stock market indexes, and they're fine, they're not really moving that much. But if you dug deep down within individual names, you saw some pretty dramatic moves in some Chinese companies that were traded in the U.S., as well as some media names like Viacom, CBS, and Discovery. And there was really no major news surrounding those names. And so that's one clue that there could be something bigger going on that needs to surface.
0: Why those stocks are important? Well, we'll get to that soon.
1: So I started calling around and this name, Archegos Capital Management, kept popping up among the people I spoke with. Now nobody really knew how to pronounce Archegos Capital, was it Archegos, Archegos? It was that just kind of as indicative of how under the radar the firm really was. And so I asked my sources, I said, I've never heard of this firm before. Is it possible that they could be responsible for tens of billions of dollars worth of block trades that had been going on?
0: Now, block trades are the sale of a large group of stocks onto the marketplace, happening all at once. It's a big block of shares and a very large trade. It's often the byproduct of what happens when you get a margin call. In this case, it's like a liquidation or a fire sale induced by panic selling. So now, Leslie and her team are trying to figure out whether Archegos had anything to do with these block trades. And
1: ultimately found out, yes, in fact, they were responsible for this. And so the fallout from the margin call that took place at Arcagos was basically that when they had to sell down their entire portfolio, it went into the hands of some of the biggest banks we know of. And some of those banks were able to offload shares in a way that didn't create losses on their own balance sheets. But some of them weren't able to exit as quickly. And that's why you're seeing multiples of billions of dollars in losses at places like Credit Suisse and Nomura. And it really just exposed the enormous amount of risk that these banks took in their willingness to do business with Archegos Capital.
0: The names of big banks like Switzerland's Credit Suisse... Japan's Nomura, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, and Wells Fargo were popping up in all the conversations, and so was Bill Huang's Archegos Capital, named after the Greek word that means one who leads the way. But who was Bill Huang? Back in 2001, he ran a $10 billion hedge fund called Tiger Asset Management. And even back then, colleagues of his said he was very secretive about his investments, sometimes concentrating his holdings and not diversifying it. The fund differentiated itself as an Asia-focused fund. But by 2008, Huang had shorted Volkswagen, which was not an Asia-based stock. And when the stock quadrupled, which was not in his favor, he lost 23% of the fund. This infuriated many who saw him taking money for Asia stocks and gambling it onto the European market. By 2012, a series of SEC investigations culminated in accusations that Huang had taken part in insider trading and stock manipulation. For that, he settled for a fine of $60 million and closed down his fund. With the money he had left, he opened up a family office, this time investing only for his private fund. I guess you can say Archegos was like Huang's Phoenix rising from the ashes. To make it clear, There's a distinction between a family office and a hedge fund. With family offices, you are a stewardess of your own capital. There's much less transparency you need to disclose to the SEC. Whereas for hedge funds, they're subject to regulations designed to protect its investors. Now, if you're only managing your own money and you decide to gamble with it in risky investments, no one can accuse you of wrongdoing, right? Well... Not in this case, because Huang used leverage across global banks to build his family office. And this is where it gets a bit sketchy. It turns out, with the exception of Goldman Sachs, who blacklisted Huang, many of these banks seem unconcerned by Huang's brush with the law. But in the end of 2020, Archegos had already had a phenomenal investment year, and some of its stock holdings were up at least 70%. The banks that help Archegos transact were getting paid tens of millions of dollars a year in fees. It was estimated that these prime broker fees totaled around $100 million. So ultimately, Goldman Sachs relented and jumped on the gravy train. And that's how all these banks got involved with Archegos.
1: What's fascinating about this story is the lack of transparency embedded in what happened here. So, Bill Wong ran a family office, Arcagos Capital. A family office is different from a hedge fund, in that they have different regulations surrounding what they need to disclose. Additionally, he used a certain type of security known as a total return swap. That's a very, very, very wonky term.
0: Huang built a very highly concentrated portfolio and as his past indicated, liked to take on big risks in hopes to see a large reward, which is like the definition of gambling. In investing, a sophisticated stock picker would oftentimes hedge their bets and not place all their eggs in one basket. Not Huang, however. He engaged in derivative trades called swaps that allowed him to invest heavily in stocks of certain companies, including Viacom, CBS, without actually owning the shares itself. The benefits of a swap transaction instead of buying the stocks directly is twofold. You don't have to front the cost of actually buying the shares, which requires less money in a swap deal. And secondly, you can trade pretty anonymously. The banks extended the leverage to Archegos, who, in the honor of its name, led the way and invested heavily on swap trades. But before we get into that, a quick word from our sponsors. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by big wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I first heard that Mint Mobile offers premium wireless service starting at 15 bucks a month, I thought... Where's the catch? But after speaking with them and using their service, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they're the first company to sell wireless service online only. By cutting out retail stores, there's no crazy overhead cost that gets passed down to you in the form of mystery fees. Instead, Mint Mobile just passes its sweet savings direct to you. The quality of Mint Mobile's wireless service is phenomenal. Compared to my old provider, there's no spotty reception or drop calls. I'm literally saving over $120 a month. For people looking for extra savings, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just $15 a month. All plans come with unlimited talks and texts and high-speed data delivered on the nation's 5G network. Use your own phone and keep your name, phone number, contacts, everything. And if you're not 100% satisfied, Mint Mobile has you covered with their seven-day money-back guarantee. To get your wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash greatfail. That's mintmobile.com slash greatfail. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com greatfail. Want a new podcast to look forward to each week? One that's entertaining, informative, and packed with actionable content? Come on, of course you do. The average podcast listener has six shows in rotation, so you'll want to add this to your list along with the great fail. The Jordan Harbinger Show, a top-shelf podcast named Best of Apple in 2018, Jordan dives in the minds of fascinating people from athletes, authors, scientists, to mobsters, spies, and hostage negotiators. Harbinger has an undeniable talent for getting his guests to share never-before-heard stories and thought-provoking insights. Without fail, he pulls off tactical bits of wisdom in each episode, all with the noble cause to make you a more informed, critical thinker to operate better in today's world. And honestly, I'm a fan too. Jordan is a goat when it comes to podcasting, and he's got one of the most highly rated self-development shows out there point blank jordan harbinger is smart funny and easy to listen to and you'll be pressed to find an episode without excellent conversations a few good laughs and actionable advice that can directly improve your life you can't go wrong with adding the jordan harbinger show to your rotation it's incredibly interesting there's never a dull show search for the jordan harbinger that's h-a-r-b as in boy I-N as a Nancy, G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Before we left off, we talked about just how heavily invested in swaps Arkegos was and how it was highly leveraged.
1: More leverage means that you have a higher risk exposure to the securities you're invested in to the upside, meaning that leverage can allow you to have significantly more returns than just investing in the securities outright. But it also can be detrimental because the higher leverage you have, the less it takes for a move downward in some of these stocks to face significant losses in your portfolio. So most hedge fund managers, which tend to be among the most risk willing of investors that are out there, even they have limits to the amount of leverage that they will take on because they're stewards of other people's capital. They don't want to risk a small move downward in a name that can wipe out their whole portfolio. So they have limits to the amount of leverage they take on. Archegos, the levels of leverage that they took on was multiples higher than even the most Risky hedge fund that's out there. And so it really didn't take too much in order to trigger the full unwinding of their portfolio because they had so much exposure and they had taken on so much debt in order to amass these massive positions and single names that just a small decline in one of these names or a few of these names at the same time was enough to trigger what happened.
0: And oh boy, did it happen in a big way with Viacom.
1: The real trigger that people are pointing to is what happened with Viacom CBS in particular. That company had just been soaring, and it was one of the best performers, if not the best performer of 2021. And people had been saying for weeks, we don't understand what's going on, there's nothing that's fundamentally changed with this company that would require the stock to surge. And ultimately, it turns out that it was this one individual, Artegos Capital, that had just taken on additional leverage to keep buying up shares in Viacom ViacomCBS and was largely responsible for some of the big moves to the upside that we had seen in that name. Then, the week that this all went down, a few days beforehand, Biocom CBS, as a prudent corporate board would do, said, okay, our stock prices has surged 900% over the past year or so. Let's see what we can do about selling some shares at these record high levels and raising some capital so that we can invest in our business and invest for the future because we don't know how long these shares are going to stay at these levels. And so we wanna be opportunistic right now. This, by the
0: way, is very similar to what occurred with GameStop. When company stock shares jump up drastically, it oftentimes is in the best interest of the company to raise some additional capital. Sometimes the markets react positively, and sometimes, like in Viacom's case, not so much.
1: What happened was they sold $3 billion worth of stock, and so they were able to raise that capital at record highs, but it was a signal to the market, especially since there were some investors who were quite skittish about this share sale, that this could be a peak for this company. So what happened was that caused the stock to decline You know, a significant amount. It was double digit percentage, but it didn't plummet to the bottom of the earth or anything like that. But that happened along with some issues related to the Chinese ADR market. These are Chinese companies that trade in the United States and they oftentimes face additional regulation from Washington. Well, there was a memo that came out that said that they could be subjected to additional accounting requirements. That was enough to send some of these Chinese companies lower in trading. So those were also holdings that Arcegos had in addition to Viacom, and those two moves were enough to trigger the unwinding that we now know occurred in March.
0: Two days before everything imploded, news broke that Viacom CBS was looking to raise around $3 billion. This was met with negative market reaction. Shares opened at around $84 and over the next day started falling to the $60 levels. As the stock tanked, Huang's investments suddenly went out of whack, stirring frenzy among the banks, with many of them pleading with him to sell shares to avoid a default. But Huang refused, determined to double down He argued that if everyone held their position and waited for the stocks to rebound, everything would be fine. Except a few hours later, Morgan Stanley made the first move. The bank began to quietly offload its holdings at a discount to other funds. Then Goldman Sachs liquidated about $6.6 billion worth of shares, setting off a domino effect of selling activity and ultimately causing Archegos to implode. Somewhere in there, Credit Suisse seemed to have either fallen asleep at the wheel or decided to gamble or go down with the ship or perhaps held on to blind hope. In the wake of Archegos's collapse, its lender Credit Suisse clocked a loss of $4.7 billion and Nomera, a loss of about $2 billion.
1: So we've already seen from credit suites, they've said that they're going to pause their buyback program, their share buyback program. They've slashed their dividend, all in an effort to raise capital. They've fired some employees that they deemed responsible for some of the irresponsible risk management that took place. They have also said that they're going to lower bonuses for certain people, certain executives during this time, all in an effort to kind of replenish the five billion dollars or so losses that they're seeing as a result of this one thing. Now, I think it will cause a paring back of risk for a lot of the big banks because there were certainly lessons learned here. And while some banks came out relatively unscathed, I mean, Goldman Sachs, Morgan, Stanley, all had relationships with Artegos as well, but they were able to exit those positions in a way that didn't create major losses for their own balance sheet. That doesn't mean they're not going to look at what happened with Nomura and Credit Suisse and say, okay, if something like that could happen to them, what would it take for that to happen to us? And therefore, pair back risk from some other other clients that are out there that may also be just as risky. We just don't know. There's nothing that's changed from a litigation standpoint or from a regulation standpoint between now and what happened with Archegos that would prevent something like this from happening again. It would have to take place within the investment banks at this point in time to be able to say, let's not let this happen again. Here's what we can do to protect ourselves and not become blinded by the potential for fees if it ultimately means that we could be facing billions of losses for our stakeholders.
0: Keep in mind, this was from one investment fund. Goldman Sachs, along with some others that were the first to have sold off their positions, managed to come out unscathed. But for those who are less fortunate, what were the lessons here?
1: I think it's a classic story of Icarus. They were excited by the prospect of money. This is both from the perspective of Archegos, as well as the banks. Archegos believed that if they took on additional risk and if they pushed these stocks higher, that they could become even wealthier. On the flip side, the banks said they ignored maybe what would have been red flags with regard to requests for certain levels of risk. They ignored that in lieu of significant fees in a highly competitive business. And as a result of those actions, we saw a fund virtually implode. We saw Billions of dollars in losses. It could ultimately amount to tens of billions of dollars of losses for banks across the globe, all in the prospect of just making a little bit more money. And I think there's a centuries old takeaway from people who engage in those activities.
0: A classic story of recklessness driven by greed. The Archegos meltdown had all the makings of a dangerous situation. A largely unregulated fund complex trading instruments, high-risk leverage, and a trader who dodged SEC oversight, all of which could have been entirely preventable had there been limits placed. And this was one man, one fund. And so I invite you to really think about what else might be occurring right now that has been granted the willfully
1: blind eye. I think one of the key lessons is that the banks took on risk along with Archegos. So it's one thing to point to this family office and say they, you know, made a mistake. And as a result, they lost a lot of money. But at the end of the day, it was a family office, which means most of the capital that they lost was their own or employees. It wasn't like they were losing money for pension funds or endowments or nonprofits. But what really happened, it showed kind of the contagion effect of one of these events from occurring because there were banks that agreed to the risk levels that Archegos was willing to take on. And by agreeing to do that business, by agreeing to help support The amount of leverage that they were willing to take those banks suffer the consequences and they do manage money for a wide variety of people they have a ton of stakeholders there are bankers who have been working very very hard who will not be getting the bonuses that they expected to get this year as a result of this and so it showcases the risk management shortfalls for some of the largest banks in the world it also showcases a willingness for a lot of these firms to do business with someone who may be beyond the risk threshold that they deem appropriate because they saw the dollars and cents. The groups within these banks that agreed to do business with Archegos are some of the most lucrative units within the largest investment banks and so there are reports that have now surfaced showing that they were willing to kind of turn a blind eye to some of bill huang's previous indiscretions with regard to insider trading settlements that he had in his prior life as a hedge fund manager they were willing to you know look away from some of the leverage that he was requesting from them that massive amount of loans and specific names in order to get the fees that came with servicing a client within that group at the firm.
0: And so goes the story of Archagus, which in legend as the one who led the way, is now on an ill-fated voyage, much like Icarus, who in the joy of flight, soared too close to the sun. And trying to stay afloat, his wings came apart, sending him into the sea to drown. Special thanks to Leslie Picker and CNBC for providing their research and commentary for this episode. And thank you for tuning in to this week's The Great Fail. Please make sure to visit our website at thegreatfail.com for behind the scene audio and video footage. If you like these episodes and want us to continue bringing you more, please subscribe to our newsletter because, well, not connecting with you would be our great fail. While you're at it, simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us out, too. The research on each episode is extensive, but none of them would be possible without the tireless efforts of researchers, writers, and reporters. They are all credited on thegreatfail.com under our show notes. Lastly, you can connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Great Fail Pod, and please subscribe, rate, review this podcast on iTunes to show your support. We'll be back in 2 weeks with a brand new episode. And remember folks, with great failure comes great liability. I must-